We are in the middle of chapter 43. We're on page 8 of 11. We were in the middle of talking about this love for Hashem that we got through through contemplation. We start to think about the worlds, how Hashem animates them and vivifies them, brings them all into existence with an intimate knowledge. That was the one that fills it, pervades the world, the light that pervades all the worlds. And then furthermore, that's, there's the light that encompasses all the worlds, brings them all into existence, and yet they have no way to relate to it. They don't <coughs> sense it. And then to take the meditation further and realize that everything is like nothing before him. When a person comes to that place and truly understands what they're thinking about and meditates, their heart is on flame with fire for Hashem. They yearn to cleave to him and they realize that Hashem is the pleasure of all pleasures. At that point, their soul is divested of any other pleasure. All they want is the pleasure of Hashem. Now you can say, okay, so a person like this, they lose all their passion, they lose all their pleasure. No, it's not that they've become less passionate and less desirous. They've become more passionate and more desirous. They will settle for nothing less than the best. You know, once you've tasted something amazing and you know that uh, kind of cheap wine just doesn't taste good anymore. This is the most amazing, the most pleasurable experience. Why would somebody settle for a pseudo experience? All pleasures come from Hashem. So a person loses their sense of temptation for anything of this world, and all they want is the pleasure of Hashem. And we finished up last class with these lines, As it is written, Whom have I in heaven to love other than God? The verse goes on to say, And there is nothing upon earth that I desire with you. This means to say that with you, that is subjugated and nullified to God, is not desired as well. The next verse continues, My flesh and my heart yearn for you, rock of my heart, as the various levels of love a Jew may attain by contemplating God's greatness will be explained later. So last class, Shelley raised an important question. And she said, well, I walk down the street and I see a flower and I take pleasure in that flower. I, I realize that it comes from Hashem, but I don't have no pleasure in this world. I think it's important to have pleasure in this world. And by Ashgacha Pratis, that night I was studying Rambam, and the Rambam was talking exactly about that. I took screenshots and I sent it to Shelley. And the, this is in the laws of character development, and the Rambam said, Shema Yoimer Adam. A person might say, since envy, desire, the pursuit of honor and the like are the wrong path and drive a person from the world, I shall separate myself from them to a very great degree and move from them to the opposite extreme. For example, he will not eat meat, nor drink wine, nor live in a pleasant home, nor wear fine clothing, but rather wear sackcloth and coarse wool and the like, just as the pagan priests do. (coughs) The Ramam says like this, this too is a bad path and it is forbidden to walk upon it. Whoever follows this path is called a sinner, as implied by the Torah statement concerning a Nazarite. And he, the priest, shall make atonement for him for his having sinned regarding his soul. Our sages declared, if the Nazarite, who abstained only from wine, requires atonement, he's called a sinner because he abstained from wine, how much more so does one who abstained from everything? Therefore, our sages directed man to abstain 
Only from those things which the Torah denies him and not to forbid himself permitted things by vows and oaths of abstention. Thus our sages stated, Isn't it enough for you, the things that the Torah has forbidden for you, that you must forbid additional things to yourself? This general statement also refers to those who fast constantly. They are not following a good path. For our sages have forbidden a man to mortify himself by fasting. Of all of the above and their like, Solomon directed and said, do not be overly righteous and do not be overly clever. Why make yourself desolate? Now, in the Rambam's introduction to his commentary on Mishnah Avos, it's famously known as Shmona Prakim, the eight chapters, he talks about reasons why it's bad to live this kind of life. One reason is because a person ruins their body. And if God forbid a person ruins their body, how can they properly serve Hashem? A person has to be whole and healthy to serve Hashem. And then he points out, points, as, points out something amazing. He says, a person who lives this kind of path, a path of abstention and just removing themselves from everything physical, feels like they're serving Hashem. That's not serving Hashem. They feel like I did everything I needed to do because I'm serving Hashem. Punishing yourself, making yourself suffer, doesn't make you, now I don't have to do anything. Maybe that's it. I'm here. I'm so righteous. I don't need any of these things. No, 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 no. You're telling yourself that you're serving Hashem and you haven't even gotten there yet. And especially when we call to mind the ideas that we learned in chapter 36 in Tanya, that why did Hashem create the world? Because he wanted an abode for himself down here. It means that if we avoid the world and we don't engage with the world, we are shirking our responsibilities. We have a responsibility to take this world, reveal the godliness in it, and elevate it to Hashem. If a person lives a life devoid of any physical engagement and devoid of any physical, and I'm not going to say the word pleasure because I want to tell you something next, they are shirking their responsibilities in serving Hashem. And then, fascinatingly enough, I was putting my kids to sleep and I was doing some reading, and I read the Rebbe's Farbringen of Shabbos Mavarchem HaChaydash Sivan. And the Rebbe was talking about this same idea. It was just coming to me and all came up at class and Hashem was just sending me all these amazing ideas. The Rebbe was speaking about what happened at Matan Torah, at the giving of the Torah. The Talmud says that why is it called Sinai? One of the reasons is because when the Torah was given to the Jewish people on Har Sinai, Mount Sinai, Sinai Yarda, hatred came down to the nations of the world. Commentators explain that's when anti-Semitism began. Oh, interesting. That they started to hate us when we got the Torah. But here, the way it simply is explained is, the way it's simply explained is that hatred towards the nations of the world came down because they rejected the Torah. And the Rebbe says that it is a personal lesson for each of us. We each have the nations of the world within us. What is it? It's all the matters of this world. Why? Because the Midrash says that Esav, who represents the nations of the world, took for his portion, what he wanted was this world. And Yaakov, what he took for himself was the next world. So matters of this world represent Esav. When we got the Torah, hatred towards matters of this world came to us. This ability to hate matters of this world. You could say, what? Does that make any sense? This means asceticism, right? It means just rejecting anything of this world. And the Rebbe says, no, it doesn't mean rejecting the things of this world. It means rejecting the pleasure in it. 
I'm not doing this pleasure for the sake of pleasure. You know, those people who could just never get enough. They're running after the latest and the greatest and the most delicious and the most. Why? The passion for things in this world is wrong. Why do we use this world? If you look at the Rambam, you know, we were speaking about how the Rambam says this is a bad path. In the next halacha, the Rambam says everything you do should be for the sake of Hashem. So when you eat and you drink and you engage in this world, everything should be for the sake of Hashem. So engaging in this world requires a very special level of awareness. Something so fascinating, the Talmud says that an Amaris, an ignorant person, is forbidden to eat meat. Why? Because it takes a certain level of education to eat meat. You can't just eat meat. You have to have an awareness. If you want to engage in something that's beyond the basic necessities, you have to have an awareness. You have to know, I'm doing this for Hashem. You know, it's not a carte blanche, like, oh my gosh, I, I definitely need this chocolate mousse right now to serve Hashem. Oh, come on. <laughs> who are we, who are we fooling over here? Because we, we feed our kids meat. They're not even capable of... Right. So level. especially in today's day and age, what used to be a luxury is nowadays a necessity. But it's the idea, the idea to engage in something beyond our basic necessities requires a level of education. The Talmud quotes different sages on what they needed. For example, wine and fragrance have made me wise. He needed that to open up his mind. Or one of the sages, he was asked a question and he said, until I haven't eaten beef, I couldn't answer your question. He needed it. He needed it in order to open up his mind, to relax and, and answer and find his clarity. Everybody knows their level. Everybody knows where this is too much for me and this is, this is what I need. And it all has to be with that goal in mind of serving Hashem. And the Rebbe says in that talk, in that Fabringen, that when a person loses the pleasure in this world and they only engage in it for the sake of Hashem, not only does the physicality be, not become less, it actually becomes more. And he said, all elicitations come back down. All bounty is drawn down through the Torah. What does the Torah say? If you will walk in my statutes, then I will give you your, your reins in their time. All of these beautiful physical blessings of bounty come about through the Torah. And when a person doesn't engage in the physical for the sake of the physical, doesn't take pleasure in the physical for the sake of the physical, then it loses its confinement as physicality. It becomes elevated to spirituality and it becomes boundless. So it's this paradox of engaging, having an incredible amount of wealth and bounty and using it only for Hashem. <coughs> See, Rabbi Huda Nasi was the wealthiest man. Actually, they said that his stable man, I think, was more wealthy than the King Shavu of Persia. He was incredibly wealthy. When he passed away, he said, he stretched out his 10 fingers to Hashem and he said, Master of the world, it is known to you that I engage with all my 10 fingers in Torah and I haven't even derived pleasure from matters of this world, even with my tiniest finger. And he was fabulously wealthy. There was nothing ever missing from his table. You know, nowadays it's imported from Chile and from Australia if it's not in season. In his day, he had everything that wasn't in season, imported from everywhere. I don't think people discuss it. He himself, I don't think, ate it. He served it to his guest. <laughs> but he had it all available. And he was a man with a fabulous wealth 
and he was able to testify before Hashem, who knows everything, that I didn't derive any personal pleasure from it. All I did was engage in your Torah. So just for that discussion of losing desire for anything of this world and wanting only Hashem himself. Now, all the above refers to a person who has a love for worldly matters and divests himself of this love because of his contemplation of Hashem's greatness. His love will then be felt for God rather than for mundane things. However, he who by nature is cold and removed from any feelings of love, whether to Hashem or otherwise, cannot simply transfer his love. It is much more difficult for such a person to awaken a feeling of love for Hashem. Nevertheless, the altar goes on to say, even he can arouse within himself a fiery love for Hashem through the above-mentioned contemplation. So here we're talking about a person who naturally is desirous, who's naturally passionate, and so what do they do? They redirect their love. The Chassid of Hillel once said, if all the pleasure seekers of this world knew how much pleasure there was in davening and praying, they would drop all their pleasure seeking and run to Shul to pray. Whole new level of pleasure. You want pleasure? This is where it's at. But this is a person who is looking for pleasure. The Alter Rebbe in the 15th chapter of Tanya describes somebody who's naturally frigid. He calls him Mitsunan Bativai, frigid by nature. Mechoser Hergesh Hana'a Bativai, lacking any natural feeling of pleasure. Some people are just frigid. So when someone is a passionate person, it's about channeling, redirecting, you know, you, you have this capacity and now you just channel it and use it for Hashem. Somebody who's a more like a meticulous person and more like obedient. So it's easy for them to have fear of Hashem. Somebody who is a passionate person, a loving person, it's easier for them to have love of Hashem. But what if somebody doesn't have it? Not even for things of this world. Now, I have a friend who used to love playing with Lego and she said, I knew I wanted to be a dentist because it's kind of like playing with Lego. <laughs> so she took that talent that she had and grew with it and used it as an adult to help other people. We all have that place within us that it either could be a force for good or God forbid the opposite. It's however we use it. So here, this is somebody who's passionate. Passionate could be wonderful. Love Hashem. Passionate could be not wonderful at all for bad things. So here, take that passion that you naturally have and direct it to Hashem. What about somebody who doesn't have passion? You're saying, have love for Hashem. Don't love the other things. They say, I don't love the other things. What love? I don't even know what love is. And the altar is going to say, even he can have love for Hashem. You'll see the love the altar describes. It's like a fiery, passionate love. Incredible. Also he, whose soul's attribute of love is not vested at all in any physical or spiritual enjoyment, is able to kindle his soul as with burning coals and an intense fire and a flame that soars heavenwards. By contemplating the above-mentioned matters, as will be explained later on. So this is a person who's not passionate for things of this world. You know, you give him a chocolate cake, he doesn't care for it. Love, he doesn't care for it. He's just not passionate. How does he love Hashem? Uh, Altorba says, if he takes this meditation and thinks about what we talked about this chapter, how Hashem fills all worlds, surrounds all worlds, everything is like nothing before him, and with all the details, till the person is totally in sync with what they're learning and realizes the truth of it, something's going to change within their soul. 
They have love. Every soul has love. Their love was dormant. When they realize that Hashem is their eye of eyes, is their deepest space, is a relationship that they can't avoid, a relationship that they can't run away from, something is altered in their soul. And not just do they feel a little bit of love, they feel a passionate love. Look at how the altar of it describes it. Burning coals, intense fire, flame that soars heavenwards. This person now has something awakened in their soul that they never had before. So up until now, we were talking about Avas Ailam, this love of Hashem where a person meditates and realizes all they want in Hashem and even somebody who doesn't naturally have passion to things of this world can have a passion for Hashem. Now, when it came to Ahava that love where a person is literally delighting in Hashem, that necessarily has to come after the higher level of fear, as we discussed. There's no way the person can feel that kind of love if they haven't experienced that fear of surrender, that place where they realize I'm not an entity for myself. I'm literally just subsumed within Hashem. Then they're in that right frequency where they can accept this gift from above of truly delighting in godliness. That only happens to a person if they experience fear. But when it comes to this love that we were talking now about, the love of Avas Elam, the worldly love, not only don't you have to have the higher level of fear, this love can even come to somebody who has no fear of Hashem at all. It has previously been noted that the higher level of love can come about only after one's fear of God is total. However, the lower level of love may sometimes come about, as shall soon be explained, even without being preceded by the fear of God. This latter category of love sometimes precedes fear. That's not the proper order. The proper order is you start with the basic fear and then you work up to love. It should all start with just accepting the yoke of Hashem. But sometimes it comes first. According to the quality of the da'at, which fathers it, as is known, for da'at incorporates both chasadim and gevuris, which are love and fear. Chasad is love, gevur is fear. Da'at reveals both these emotions. Thus, binding one's da'at intensely to the greatness of God gives rise to both feelings, fear and love. So let's talk about what we said about da'at. What is da'at? Da'at is not just simply knowledge. Da'at is focusing on something with the intention of connecting to it, of making it personal, of having emotions. Das is the last stage in the intellectual process. First, there was Chachma, which is that flash of inspiration. Then there is Bina, working out the ideas. So a person in the stage of Chachma and Bina, they could be thinking about the ideas that we learn, the greatness of Hashem, and nothing compares to His greatness, on and on and on. But until they've connected to it, it didn't bring them any emotions. So at the stage of Chachma and Bina, it's still beyond emotions. Once it comes to Da'as, that's where the emotions rise. Because Da'as is what produces the emotions, it necessarily has the emotions within it. So Da'as includes within itself both Chesed, which is kindness, which is love, and Givura, which is severity, which is fear. Now, all of the emotions are included in Da'as. Da'as is called Miftacha Dechalal Shis. The key that includes all six midot. There's seven midot, but there's the six proper up until malchus. 
Da'as includes them all. The reason why only chesed and gevur are specified is as we learned in chapter 3, all the other midas are the offshoots of chesed and gevur. It's chesed and gevura, the right and the left, and everything else is just a permutation of that. Those are the two main ones. So all the emotions are really included in chesed and gevura. So a person is meditating upon Hashem in order to produce a relationship with Him. They're using their power of da'as, connecting truly so that this is real to me and this produces emotions. While both chesed and gevura are included in da'as, and sometimes chesed will come first. Ufa'amim shahachasadim and sometimes the chasadim descend and manifest themselves first. The chasadim may sometimes precede the gevures. This means that da'as may sometimes evoke love before fear. So for the higher level of love, you have to have fear. For the lower level of love, sometimes you're going into this meditation and what comes first? Not fear, but love. And it depends on a number of different things. A person's spiritual station at that time, their mood, their natural composition. And in fact, if you look at the Rambam, how to come to these emotions of love and fear of Hashem, he gives you a meditation. He talks about thinking about the greatness of Hashem. This is in Rambam, Halchas Yisaydei Hatera, chapter 2. And he says, When a person contemplates his wondrous and great deeds and creations and appreciates his infinite wisdom that surpasses all comparison, he will immediately love, praise, and glorify him, yearning with tremendous desire to know his great name. And then he continues in the halacha and he says, When he continues to reflect on these same matters, he will immediately recoil and on fear, appreciating how he is a tiny, lowly, and dark creature standing with his flimsy, limited wisdom before he who is of perfect knowledge. So that very same meditation can produce both love and fear. And depending on our spiritual makeup, and where we are at that time, and even our mood at that time, something might come first. The proper way is we're working, we're setting out for, if we're aiming at, at a spiritual path, the way we start is we're aiming for fear. But sometimes a person meditates and what comes to them first is love. And the altar said something fascinating. V'lachain. Therefore, it is possible for a wicked and sinful person to repent by virtue of the love that is born in his heart at the time he remembers the Lord his God. Although up to this point of his repentance, he was wicked and lacked the fear of God, still there may be born in him a love for God that will lead him to repent. So, There is this person who has no fear of Hashem. He's wicked. He's sinful. And suddenly he remembers Hashem out of the blue. Hashem. Wow. And he's awakened with a love for him. And he does teshuva. That's what came first was the love. Why? Because da'as produces both love and fear. And sometimes love comes first. And in our generation, a lot of times love comes first. Rabbi Steinzels tells an amazing story that he had a friend who 20 years was living on a secular Israeli kibbutz. He turned his entire life around and became a Baal Shuvah. He became a chassid. And he asked him, what happened to you? And he said, for 20 years, I was haunted by a verse in the book of Job. You know, the Israelis learned Tanakh very well. 
And what does it say? It says, You yearn for the work of your hands. And all these years I was thinking, Hashem is yearning for me. How could I not love him? And because he was thinking of Hashem's love for him, he was sparked with love for Hashem. And the love for Hashem is what got him to do teshuva. I have a really good friend at class last night, actually, she was telling her story where she was knew nothing about Yiddishkeit. She was engaged to be married, and she walks into a Chabad house, as if by chance, right? Hashem obviously directed her steps. And the lady, the Rebison starts talking to her, a woman in jeans and looks just like anybody else, about covering her hair. Now, for any person, that would really turn them off. <laughs> like, what? She, I, it was so foreign to her. Like, but for some reason, she was like, wow, covering hair. This sounds amazing. She said, she's a brilliant woman, just a very well-read, educated person. It makes no sense to her looking back that that should have engendered love within her. That was obviously the work of Hashem. Like she was feeling so inspired by that conversation. That's what sparked her to want to do teshuva. So sometimes a person can have love for Hashem, even though they didn't have fear for Hashem yet. Up until that point, they, they had no relationship with Hashem. And suddenly, without having any fear of Him, they returned to Him in love. Rabbi Stanzel tells another great story about this genius child who wasn't picking up how to read. His parents were getting him tutored in the Aleph Bet, and he just wasn't learning how to read. And they were flabbergasted. They didn't know what to do. So they bring him to their Rebbe. And the Rebbe looks at the child and tells the parents, start teaching him Talmud. A little kid who can't read, teach him the Talmud. And they did. They started to teach him Talmud. And he was such a bright mind. He absorbed it and he wanted to know how to read. And from there, he learned how to read. For him, reading was boring. <laughs> such a brilliant mind to sit there with the tediousnesses of practicing. And it just wasn't for him. But when he started to learn Talmud and realized how much he loves to learn, and he can't possibly learn without first learning Aleph Bays, he went back to learn the Aleph Bays. First, first, he didn't have any desire for the Aleph Bays. Suddenly, after he was met on his level, his interest in learning and Talmud, then he went back to learning Aleph Bays. So the right way is start with fear of Hashem. But sometimes love of Hashem comes first, even if it hasn't been preceded by that very basic level of fear. You know, we talked about all different levels. The very basic level of fear is not even a feel, a fear that a person feels. It's just a cognition that Hashem is my master and I would never want to disobey him. And actually that class last night, the question came up, well, then isn't that a fear of punishment? Hashem is my master. I don't want to disobey him. Why don't I want to disobey him? Because he can punish? No, that's not the equation there. The equation there is, think about what we talked about, just the fear of a regular human being. You wouldn't do something degrading in front of a fellow human being, even not a noble person. It's not because you're afraid your fellow human being is going to punish you. It's because you don't want to do something degrading in front of somebody else. Now, let's say it's not just a regular human being, but a great and noble person. You know, think about you were standing in front of the Rebbe. People weren't afraid the Rebbe was going to punish them. That wasn't what it is about. But why are they on their best behavior? Because I am in the presence of an awe-inspiring human being, a great and noble person. I would never want to do something that disappoints. And so knowing that Hashem is my master and that he's watching me, I would never want to disappoint him. I would never want to rebel against him. It's even before a person has feelings. Sometimes a person has no feelings at all. 
but it's just a simple acceptance. Hashem is my master and I obey him. And that's that. So it should start off at least with that. But sometimes a person doesn't even have that. And yet they are suddenly in love with Hashem. They remember Hashem is their God and they love him. And their service starts from there. At any rate, fear too is included therein, in the love, as a matter of course, except that it is there in a state of minuteness and concealment, namely as the fear of sin, of rebelling against him, God forbid, while the love is in a revealed state in his heart and mind, so that consciously the individual is only aware of love for Hashem. So Lachar says like this, even though the person didn't start out with fear, where did they start with? They started with love. He said, even in their love, there is fear. It's just that the fear that they have within the love is in a state of smallness that they don't want to rebel. The prominent feeling that they feel is the feeling of love. And because they love, their fear is, I don't want to interrupt this relationship. If a person only feels love, and no fear, and this is true not just in our relationship with Hashem, but in our relationship with our fellow human beings, if there's absolutely no fear, which means no feeling of commitment, feeling completely untied and untethered, then that's not love. That's self-gratification. There is love. It's love for me. It has nothing to do with the other person. There's no relationship here. There's a great story of the Katzgarebbe who saw a young man eating fish. And he said, young man, why are you eating fish? And he said, what do you mean, why am I eating fish? I'm eating fish because I love fish. And he said, really, is it because you love fish that you pulled it out of the water, killed it, cooked it, and are now devouring it? No, no, no. You're eating fish because you love yourself. And it's okay to eat fish, but don't say you're eating fish because you love the fish. So here too, if a person has love for Hashem and has no fear of him at all, they don't feel any commitment, they don't feel tied in any way, they don't feel bound or no worry to disappoint or interrupt the relationship, then they're just speaking, seeking spiritual gratification. They just want to feel that spiritual high and it's about themselves. It's not about Hashem. But true love for Hashem contains within it some level of fear. The author says it's a state of smallness and minuteness. The main feeling there is the feeling of love. But even though it's love, there still is fear within it. However, such a case where the wicked and sinful person should suddenly attain a love of Hashem and become a penitent, where love precedes fear, is an extraordinary occurrence and an emergency prescription through Hashem's particular providence. As the occasion requires, as happened with Rabbi Elazar ben Dordai, who had been sinful, and suddenly became a penitent, repenting out of a love for Hashem. Indeed, so intense was his penitence that it caused his soul to depart his body. So the regular way is start out with fear. But sometimes there is a special emergency prescription that love comes first. My friend told me, her father's a Shuva, that her father, as he was on his path to do Teshuvah, <coughs> Her, her father asked the Rebbe for tips on obtaining awe of Hashem. And the Rebbe instructed her father to start with love, to work on love. So this was his emergency prescription. Obviously, the Rebbe knew the makeup of his soul, and that's what brings him closer to Hashem. Rabbi Elazar ben Dordaya 
was an extremely sinful person. The Talmud tells us that he never met a sinful woman without engaging her services. And finally, one of these prostitutes said to him, you are so far gone, nothing's ever going to help you. You could never do teshuva. And that spoke to him. He thought, "Uh uh-oh, too late for me. I can never do teshuva. So he started to call out for help. And he said, mountains and hills, pray for me. And they said, we can't pray for you. We're in need of mercy ourselves. I thought, okay. So he started to call out to all the forces. He said, sun and moon, pray for me. We can't pray for you. We need to pray for ourselves. One after another until he said, Ain hadavar taloi elabi. If so, then the matter is dependent entirely upon me. And he put his head between his knees and he cried and he cried and he cried. So much so, so embittered was he that his soul left his body. And when his soul came to the next world, they said, make way for Rabbi Elazar ben Dordaya. He got the name Rabbi in that moment. Remember up until now, what kind of person he was. And suddenly he was Rabbi Elazar ben Dordaya. And Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi heard the story, he cried. And he said, there's a person who acquires their world to come in one moment. Shah doesn't only mean a moment, it also means a turn. Like the Torah says, Vayisha Hashem El Hevel, Hashem turned to Hevel. He made such a transformation in that one moment, he acquired his life in the world to come. This story is a very fascinating story, actually, because it's also a story of accountability. It's an important story of Teshuva, where first he was trying, there's a lot of commentary on this story, he was trying to blame his circumstances on forces outside of himself. So when he said mountains and hills, that refers to his mother and his father. He said, it's my parents, that's why I am the way I am. He said, oh no. It's up to you. And he said, well, it's the society I was raised in. He said, sorry, that's not going to help you. Then he said, well, it was the stars, constellations I was born under. Is my inborn bad nature. I said, sorry, that's not going to help you either. And then suddenly he had that aha moment. And he said, oh my gosh, it's really all up to me. And I think the more people that I speak to and the more people's experiences that I know and what people share, one of the things that really is striking is that blaming is such a sad thing. It really puts people at a disadvantage. When a person, sometimes people have a very good reason to blame, but when a person blames and blames and blames, they just become caught in a web of pity and victimhood, and they can never flower and be their best self. It's like one second. The matter is dependent entirely on me. It's like that story of Rabbi Sachs who was describing his situation to the Rebbe, and he said, and I find myself in the situation. And the Rebbe says, no, no, no. A Jew never finds themselves in a situation. Where the point was, you're there for a purpose and you're the one with the power in that situation. So here is the story of Elazar ben Dordaya, who was awakened to Shuva out of love. It wasn't his love for Hashem that caused his soul to expire. This is something the Rebbe points out in his notes because the love for Hashem that he could have was only Ahavas Ailam. He obviously didn't have the higher level. He only had the lower level. That kind of love doesn't cause the soul to expire. But what that love did was it inspired him to do Teshuva. And Teshuva itself is boundless. And from that place of just yearning for true connection to Hashem, his soul expired and left his body. This was an emergency prescription required for that occasion.
For it is written, and this is in the writings of the Arizal, that Rabbi Elazar ben Dordaya was a Gilgal, the reincarnated soul of Yechanan Kahin Gadol, Yechanan the high priest, who served in that office for 80 years and then became a Tzaduki. Terrible story. Served as the Kohen Gadol for 80 years. At the end of his life, he did something terrible and became a Tzaduki. This is so far-fetched. This is the path that Yechanan Kohen Gadol took. All the Torah and mitzvahs fulfilled by Yechanan were elevated through the transmigration of his soul into the body of Rabbi Elazar ben Dordaya, whose life story followed the reverse course, that of a sinner who ultimately repented out of his love for Hashem. So in emergency prescription, love could come first. And so many times love does come first, especially in our generation. You see people are just <coughs> inspired to teshuva spontaneously because they feel love for Hashem. But now the author is telling us, if you're setting out on your path, then there's a way to do it. And I'm going to tell you what the way to do it is. However, the regular order of divine service, which is determined by and depends on a man's choice, is to begin with the fulfillment of the Torah and mitzvot through yiratata in a state of minuteness at least, departing from evil and doing good, meaning refraining from committing any sins and performing the mitzvahs. So as to illuminate his divine soul with the light of Torah and its mitzvahs. So what's the proper way is, first of all, at least have that basic level of fear of Hashem. From that place, when I accept the yoke of Hashem, then what do I do? I want to keep his mitzvahs. So I, I first accept his yoke upon myself. I start serving him. I stay away from what I shouldn't do. I do what I'm supposed to do. That lights up my soul with the Torah and the mitzvahs. Remember that the Torah and the mitzvahs are literally an experience of Hashem. So once I've submitted to him and I allow his light to enter me and I practice his will, my soul is illuminated with his Torah and mitzvahs. Whereupon the light of love will also shine upon it. For the word v'ahavta, and you shall love, you know we say in Shema v'ahavta, and you shall love the Lord your God, has a numerical value twice that of or, light, as is known to the students of Kabbalah. Thus first must come the illumination earned by the fulfillment of Torah and mitzvahs, and only then can one be granted the illumination of experiencing a love of Hashem. So this is very interesting. What's the proper way? The proper way is service first. The proper way is fear first. I'm submitting to Hashem. I am accepting that He's my master. I do what He tells me to do. What is He telling me to do? Torah and mitzvahs. From that place, I keep Torah and mitzvahs, which is the will and wisdom of Hashem. That gives me an internal and intimate experience of godliness. That intimate experience of godliness, that internal experience of godliness is called Light. Shlomo HaMelech writes in Mishlei, Kiner Mitzvah V'Torah Or. Because a candle, a mitzvah is a candle and Torah is light. So Torah and mitzvahs are both light. And love is light. How do we know love is light? In the creation of the world, it says, Vayar El Akim Es Ha'or And Hashem saw the light that it was good. The word good is also synonymous with chesed. Like David HaMelech writes in Tehillim, Ach, 
goodness and kindness, they're synonymous with each other, will chase after me all the days of my life. So good is light. Hashem saw the light that it was good. So first we light up our soul with the light of ner mitzvah and terror, the light of Torah and mitzvahs. And the reason why we start out that way is because just through meditation, that's not going to give us a direct, true experience of godliness. Meditation brings us to want to cleave to Hashem, but knowing that we want to cleave to Hashem or knowing that we want to serve Hashem, whatever our meditation was, is just the prelude to actually experiencing Him. How do we experience Him? Through His Torah and mitzvahs. Remember that God is invested in the Torah and mitzvahs. When we practice mitzvahs, when we study Torah, we're having an internal experience of Torah and mitzvahs, which is light. That's the first light. Ve'ahavta is two times the numerical value of light. You shall love. You start out with the, lo- with the light of Torah and mitzvahs. Then you come to the light of love. The light of love is bayar al-kimas ar Love is light. Once you truly experience the light of Torah and mitzvahs, then comes upon you the light of experiencing love of Hashem. So that's the proper way to do things. The proper way is start out with fear. You start serving. You experience that godliness within yourself. And then you experience love of Hashem. But sometimes, emergency prescription, love comes first. Not only does it come before higher level of fear, this love can come even before the basic fear of Hashem, even before that fear of not wanting to rebel against Him. So Mazel Tov, we finished the chapter. Finished chapter 43, and let's do a quick summary of the chapter. Can you just tell me what Tata is? Tata means lower. So Yira Tata is lower fear as opposed to Yira Ila'a, which is higher fear. So we started off this chapter saying that there's a lower level of fear, and this lower level of fear is what our sages were talking about when they said, if there's no fear, there's no wisdom. You simply cannot begin to experience this higher level of awareness of Hashem. You can't serve properly, and you can't have Yira Ila'a, which is wisdom, which we will discuss without this lower level of fear. And that's a very basic level of fear. There can be an, a mode of this love where it's actually a mode of greatness that he's not only obeying Hashem because he's his master, but he actually experiences the greatness of Hashem. And even though he's experiencing the greatness of Hashem, it's still considered a lower level of fear and an external level of fear. Why is it considered lower? Why is it, why is it considered external? Because it's about matters of this world. Because it comes from matters of this world. There's a higher level of fear, and that's awareness of the divine force within the world. That's beyond all the worlds. Coming to recognize that all the worlds are literally nothing before Hashem. They actually have no value like the word within the soul of its speaker. And the more you think about what a word is, I was just baffled by it this morning. Like you think about what a word is, a word is nothing and a word is everything. A word, if you don't know the meaning of the word, you know, like say a word in Chinese and nobody knows. The word is nothing. But when you understand the meaning of the word, it contains within it incredible meaning. The Alter Rebbe in a Hasidic discourse talks about if a child doesn't understand much, starts reading some of the brilliant Talmudic innovations of the Bali Hatay's face. They're saying brilliance, but they're not experiencing the brilliance. Words on one hand are nothing, and on the other hand, they can contain everything. So what is creation? It's literally just a word. 
that has no value of its own. It literally is nothingness within the soul of its speaker. And all the words, all the worlds were created by the word of Hashem and they're truly nothing before Hashem. When a person realizes that, they completely lose any sense of independent existence. They truly surrender to Hashem. They experience Yira Ila'ah, higher fear. Now, just as there are two levels of fear, a lower level fear, which is experiencing Hashem as he is in the world. And so the world still have some level of importance. And that means that we do have some level of importance. Or there's the higher level of fear where a person realizes the worlds have no importance and they too themselves have no independent existence besides Hashem. There's also two levels of love for Hashem. Here, the higher level of love, Ahava Rabbah, is not something we can achieve on our own. It comes as a gift from above to somebody who is already perfect in fear. Once they have surrendered, they can literally delight in godliness, experiencing it. It's not something that they're yearning for. It's something that they already have. But this is something that comes as a gift. We can't work to achieve. Then there's a lower level, and that's called Ahavas Ailam. That is a love that we have to work for on our own through meditation, thinking about the worlds, how Hashem creates them all, gives them existence, and everything is truly nothing before Him. That causes a person to yearn for Hashem alone and want nothing else besides Him. And even a person who is not naturally passionate and not naturally desirous, so they can't redirect the love that they have for other things. They don't have love. But when they practice this meditation, Love is awakened in their soul and they feel a fiery passion towards Hashem. Now, this love that we're talking about, this lower level of love for Hashem, can come not just before the higher level of fear, it can even come before the lower level of fear. That's because it is aroused through da'as. And da'as includes both chasad and gavur, love and fear within it. And sometimes the love will be revealed first depending on the makeup of the person. But also, sometimes Hashem sends someone an emergency prescription of love, like Rabbi Eliezer ben Dordai, who was a sinner all his life, and suddenly he was aroused with love for Hashem. And how is a sinner aroused with love for Hashem? He remembers Hashem as God. Suddenly he has this awareness of Hashem, and he loves Hashem. But even he, whose love comes before fear, his love has within it some level of fear. Otherwise, it's not love. But the proper way of doing things is to first start out with fear, at least on a very basic level, to practice Torah and mitzvahs, light up our soul with the light of Torah and mitzvahs, and then we experience the light of love. Because the word via hafta and you shall love is twice the numerical value of the word or light, which intimates to us that first we start with the light of Torah and mitzvahs, then we experience the light of love for Hashem.